So the title of the message is, What is Your Life? And our, our passage today, if you want to turn there, 1 Timothy 1, 11 through 16. 1 Timothy 1, 11 through 16. Let's see. I know it's in here. Okay. <clears throat> First Timothy one eleven. According to the glorious gospel of the blessed God, which was committed to my trust. And I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who hath enabled me for that. He counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry who was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious. But I obtained mercy because I did it ignorantly in, in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord was exceeding abundant, abundant with faith and love, which is in, G, in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all accept, uh, acceptation uh, that G, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am chief. Howbeit for this cause I, have, I obtained mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might shew forth all long suffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. <clears throat> so, brothers and sisters, if, if the Bible is to be believed, which of course it is, then Paul's life is to be a pattern for every one of our lives. Note, I did not say for the ultra pious or, the, uh, or, or just for pastors uh, or for just missionaries or people doing the work like we explained this morning. Rather, Paul told us in 1 Timothy 1.16 that his life was to be a pattern for everyone who is saved. Being found in Christ gave Paul three things. Remember, this is how he does these things. But he gave, it gave Paul a perspective of his past, which shaped a predilection of his present that positioned him for his future. And the goal here is to be missions active, not just as a missionary but missions active in your, in your Christian life. So the past, Paul was a blasphemer, a persecutor. He was injurious and said, like, I look at my life and I think of my past. And it's, I, could, I could tell you guys some things, but my mom is here. And she would, she would be like, it's way worse than he said. Uh, I was rotten. I was, I was necessarily chiefest of all sinners in my in my eyes I, I was i was bad guy right and so just like paul <clears throat> i'm a terrible sinner who doesn't deserve anything yet even though th that uh, even though that's what an, an utter disaster i was when i received the very righteousness of god through the glorious gospel of the blessed of blessed god very everlasting god in turn put the same gospel that saved me he put it in, in trust of me and from a human perspective, Paul was the most unlikely candidate for the divine vessel of becoming the apostle to the Gentile church. You see, when we understand that Paul's life was ordained of God to be a pattern for yours, you, you naturally see two key factors for securing a glorious entrance into God's kingdom and glory. And these are, these are two things. Uh, everyone that is saved, at least in some capacity, is expected to fulfill the Great Commission and is therefore, by extension, a missionary. Every one of us that are saved. And secondly, you don't get to use your past as an excuse not to satisfy the desire that God has for your life. 
The most mysteriously amazing practical attribute of God from having walked with him for 23 years, I would say for me, is that how he could use a scoundrel like me, forgetting those things which are behind. As it says in in Philippians 3.13, it says, Brethren, I count myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are before, or which are before. First Thessalonians 2.4, as we mentioned this morning, <clears throat> verse 4 says, But we were allowed to be put in trust with the gospel. Even so, we speak not as pleasing men, but God, which trieth our hearts. And Paul said, Because I obtained, I obtained this mercy, God did something amazing, something unspeakable. He counted me worthy of and enabled me for ministry. In fact, he says, God put me in the ministry himself. Now, <clears throat> please note the redundancy is intentional here, but it's, that's not a pattern just for pastors, all right? I was talking to Andy about this on the way in. It's not just the pattern for leaders of the church to follow. It's not just a pattern for missionaries <clears throat> or for some people, not me. Paul said it's a pattern for everyone who has ever been saved since he was saved. All right. <clears throat> and if you're not going to agree with God about this uncontrafutable un, un, uh, fact of Holy Scripture, then you'll miss what God wants to do with you and in you by his grace in your life. And you'll frustrate the grace of God. Now that brings me to the future. <clears throat> what will your future be? Because I believe that if Paul's life was intended to be a pattern for the life of everyone in this room who names the name of Jesus Christ, then your future will look like Paul's post-conversion. And this, as they say, is where the rubber meets the road, right? You see, it's fun to discuss missions and mission trips and people getting saved in Africa and all that fun stuff that, that I had mentioned earlier this morning. When the emphasis is on someone else leaving their home, Someone else leaving their country and leaving their culture and language and job and parents and uprooting their kids and their wife and dragging them across the world to go do that thing. It's kind of fun if if it's not you that's doing that. Or when the focus is on coming alongside someone else who's been doing that for years and financially supporting them, taking a little bit of, well, I helped that happen. And by the way, there's not, a, there's not anything wrong with that at all, by the way, financially supporting those who go. I think that's actually what, what the Bible tells us to do. If we're not going, we need to fund and we need to pray and we need to send those to go. However, that's not the full scope of missions, quote unquote missions. <clears throat> it's entire, in its entirety, missions is actually the inconvenient Laodicean truth that there was once a man named Saul. And he was called the apostle to the Gentiles and became the divine instrument for the transition from the apostolic age to its present doctrinally matured state. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he claimed to have ministered with the long suffering and doctrine and love. And he said he sacrificed his liberty for the good of the weaker saints. That he could be content in any state. That he suffered the loss of all things to win Christ. That he esteemed this world as bowel movements that he wept in tears over the saints in sin and he welcomed the suffering as it brought him closer to God that he was crucified with Christ 
that he beat his body into subjection. That he owed every lost person he knew a debt of the gospel. And that he had been miraculously, miraculously placed and enabled to win the lost and make disciples. That's what he said. Thus, in obedience to the Great Commission, <clears throat> he moved all over the earth, reckoning himself to be a stranger and a pilgrim in this wicked, worthless world. And while awaiting execution in a Mamertine prison, he exclaimed he had fought a good fight, he had finished his course, and he had kept the faith. And thus to him, death was gain. Now, what we do is we call this the pattern for the life of a missionary. And though in a sense, I suppose I'd have to agree that that would be the case. Allow me to be so bold to say, though, that doing so rather gets us off the hook a bit, doesn't it? When we say that's just for missionaries. It allows us to turn our eyes from, from and to stop our ears to the fact that in 1 Timothy 1.16, Paul said it was, it was the pattern for the life of anyone who has believed on Jesus Christ to life everlasting. What would the church look like if everyone who was saved believed what the word of God said about their life after salvation and, and took it all the way to its logical conclusion? So how about you? What is your life? <clears throat> Any critically thinking, sentient, sane human struggles with that question. Christians should be at peace with the answer because they have an absolute objective standard by which they can know what the answer is with, with certainty. <clears throat> Do you know why Paul could say his life was a pattern for every saint? Because God gets to define what our life is. We don't. That's what salvation means biblically. Maybe not in respect to, to what salvation is, but certainly uh, in reference to what it does. James 4.14 Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow. For what is your life? It is even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. Job 10, 8 through 13. Thine hands have made me and fashioned me together round about, yet thou dost destroy me. Remember, I beseech thee that thou hast made me as the clay, and wilt thou bring me into dust again? Hast thou not poured me out as milk and curdled me like cheese? Thou hast clothed me with skin and flesh, and hast fenced me with bones and sinews. Thou hast granted me life and favor, and thy visitation had preserved my spirit. And these things hast thou hid from thine heart. I know that this is, that this is with thee. Matthew sixteen twenty four through 27. Then, then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, and take up his cross, and follow me. For whosoever, shall sh sh whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what, a man, <clears throat> for what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? For what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with the angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. And last verse I'm, I'm going to read here in this section is Luke 12:15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life consisteth, consisteth not in the abundance of things which he possesseth. So if you are a Bible believer, 
then your life is no more or no less than what the Bible says it is. I mean, it's a vapor, right? We're, we're just dust, clay. And it says your life is dead and hidden in Christ and that you are formed in him and he in you. You will be fishers of men. And that's what Jesus promised his disciples would be uh, the inevitable result of following him. Thus, your life is to be patterned after Christ in holiness and after Paul in ministry. Philippians 3, 4 through 14. <clears throat> and I am going to read a whole bunch of Bible tonight. Uh, you can write these down. You can flip to them. Um, just bear with me. Hopefully my lips will work while I'm reading all this. <clears throat> if I take a drink and I'm apologize, I'm just going to have to do it. Philippians three, four th through 14. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh. If any other man thinketh that he hath where, whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more circumcised on the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness, which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted lost for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the, ex the excellency of the knowledge of Jesus Christ, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and do count them but dung that I may win Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness, which is of God by faith. <clears throat> that I may know him in the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, be made conformable unto his death. Verse 11, if by any means I, may obtain, I might obtain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that. If that I may, I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended of Jesus Christ. Brethren, I count myself to have apprehended. But this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> Paul grew up in such a manner that he was proud to, to be a Hebrew somehow. All right? Somehow, though, though influence, uh, influences that I suppose we could all make good guesses on what those influences were, he decided at a very young age <clears throat> that he was going to be one of the greatest Jews in history and set out to attain such a lofty goal with more determination and, uh, and ardency than, than, than Rudy, uh, uh, Rudiger did, trying to gain the team of, of Notre Dame. He, he was all about, he was going to make it, right? He was going to get there. But, but Paul met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And this was his life. And listen, no one had to pay him or keep him focused on the goal. He didn't need accountability structures. He was utterly consumed with the idea to the, to the extent that when a bunch of sellout Jews who weren't even good enough to get into rabbinical school and, and had even questionable lives and vocations started following a hard-preaching, heretical, sectarian carpenter from Nazareth and telling everyone that the Hebrew special religion uh, that was given to Moses on the mount by God wasn't enough, that to this brilliant and learned and jealous young man, it was self-evident that they, all those who, who, who believed him or believed them, deserved death. And unlike some pope or imam or cult leader, he didn't ask someone to do the dirty work. He volunteered for it. 
That's a spiritual road in, in, life, uh, in Paul's life that he was traveling down when he was on the, the, the earthly road to Damascus. <clears throat> Acts 9, 1 and 2. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of, his, uh, of this way, whether they were men or women, that he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Acts 9 opens with Paul, or Saul, doing the initiating. No one's asking him to do anything. He proactively goes into Jerusalem, uh, into Jerusalem temple authority. He proactively seeks the letters to slaughter the church. He's the one that decided to put an end to Christianity in, in, in its infancy. Why? Because, ladies and gentlemen, he, Saul of Tarsus was what they call a true believer. That is, until he had an encounter with the resu- resurrected Lord, which threw him to the ground and blinded him so he couldn't see, eat, or even drink for how many days? Three days? Because when you have an encounter with Jesus Christ and you really see him as the one who rose from the dead, it should have an effect on your realization that before that very moment, whatever it is you've been doing, whether or not it had been deemed by man to be good or bad, profitable or unprofitable, noble or innoble, unnoble, you had been wasting your life. That any pursuit, however respectable or traditional or culture-reinforcing or altruistic or philanthropic or even religious, if it is, was, or is is an identity in the flesh or in this world, it was a wasted life. In the end, it was a wasted life. It's a life of no light and of no eternal purpose and no spiritual nourishment and no lordship to Christ. It's a wasted life that, to be consistent with the very message of the gospel itself, must be put to death and be buried and be raised in newness of life, just as Saul was blind and unnourished for three days, only to be given a new name and a new purpose when he arose. And that name was Paul. And the purpose was the Great Commission. And you know what you didn't have to convince Paul of? You didn't have to convince him that Getting the job done demanded initiative and study and moral purity and willingness to separate yourself from the pack and leave town and travel down a strange road and and making people uncomfortable. Didn't have to convince Paul of that. You didn't have to do that because it's because if that's what it took to be a true believer for a wasted life, like Saul was doing then how and why would serving the true and living resurrected Lord require any less? Do you know what Paul would later write in Romans? He would allege that the the fact of the resurrected Lord meant that the righteousness of the law had come to an end. For a man who had based his entire meaning and purpose and identity and self-worth on the righteousness of the law, that meant uh, the end of his life. Now, brothers and sisters, I got to ask if Paul's life is truly the pattern for everyone who is saved. Is that what the, what the resurrected Lord means to you? We learned just this morning from Tom in Sunday school. 
wherever Tom is. I'm pointing like he's right there. Anyway, Tom's somewhere. I saw him earlier. <clears throat> we learned from Tom this morning in Sunday school that, that the reason that we are justified is not because Christ died on the cross. There he is. Thanks for that this morning, Tom. <laughs> Somebody's hand just waved at us. I think it was Tom's. Um, we learned that, that, that the reason that we are justified is not because Christ died on the cross, but because he was risen from the grave, Romans 4.25. And what is salvation? What is life? What is death? Well, fortunately for us, God didn't leave us to guess on that stuff, did he? <clears throat> and so life, Jesus, G the life, Jesus was the bread. I am the way, I am the life, John 14.6. In death, First Timothy 5, 5 through 6 even says, Now she that is a widow indeed and desolate trusteth in, tr trusteth in God and continueth in supplications and prayers night and day, but she that liveth in pleasure is dead while she lives. In Galatians two sixteen through 21. Paul gave, he gave up his old life, his past conditions, uh, verses 16 through 19. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. But if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. For if I build again the things which I destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. And then he pre, then this is his present uh, predilection, predilection uh, in, in verse 19 through 20. For I, though, uh, for I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life with I, which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, now look. At this conclusion, verse 21, I do, not, I do not frustrate the grace of God. For if righteousness come by the law, then Christ is dead in vain. And Paul said, wherever I had invested in my old life and whatever I did for that old life, whatever the cost going forward, I have to be a success. It's just that after having had vision of the resurrected Lord, I have a new definition of success. You know, I have a little break in my notes to say this story, so hopefully I'll get back on track and not lose myself completely. But when I was deciding to go to Hungary over these last several months, um, I took a look at my physical life, and I thought, oh, man, I'm just about there. I set out goals in my professional uh, life at my business uh, to, make, to make a certain level, uh, to gain a certain status, to influence certain peoples, uh, even across the country in the, in the home remodeling industry that I'm an executive manager of a construction company. And I'm just about there, man. I'm like, let's just say I'm three years away from making it. And I, strangely, I'm praying to God about what am I going to do in three years when I just about made it. I'm going to start over and leave it. And it doesn't make any sense. Sure doesn't make any sense to the business world. <clears throat> you know, sat half the time while I was praying didn't even make any sense to me. But if I'm going to change my understanding of success like Paul did, 
I was, man, I tell you, I put some hours and some heart and soul and blood and tears into my business. I say it's my business. I felt like it's my business. I do not own this business. Okay. I'm just like working there, but I had to, I, I have to be able to put that same heart and soul and blood and tears into, into the business of winning people to Christ and discipling them in, in, in the Lord. And so just like Paul, we have to change what success actually is. And according to God, what is success? This is, you know, I, I read all these self-help books and these business success books, and it's all about how to increase the, the bottom line and move your foot forward and whatever. But the definition of success in the Bible is to see what God says and to actually do it. And that's success. I could go to Hungary and not win one soul to Christ. And I feel that God would, would count that a success. Because I, I, I believe God wants me there. And I can go there and I can do that and I can obey and I can, I can have success in that. Now I'm going to try as hard as possible. Now, and the word doesn't return void, right? But uh, <clears throat> I don't have to build a mega church to have success. And um, that's my sidebar. So anyways, Paul changes his view. I had to change mine. God gave us his word in the pattern of Paul's life so you would know specifically what the will of God is in your life. Paul saw the resurrected Lord, got a vision for, of the crucified Savior, and when he did, he found his purpose in the cross. And he said, that's what I'm here to do, to be crucified. The pattern Paul leaves us in, in, a, in a life that is dead to sin. <clears throat> I'm sorry, the, the pattern that Paul leaves us is a life that's dead to sin, to glorify God and to fulfill the Great Commission. He couldn't fulfill the law. Christ had already done that. But he could fulfill the Great Commission. And I would propose that that's the fun one. So 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 21. <clears throat> this, is a, this is a big section. Okay. Wherefore we labor that, <clears throat> whether present or absent, we may be accepted of him. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that everyone may receive the things done in his body, according to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, we were made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. For we, we commend not ourselves again unto you, but we give you occasion to glory on our behalf, that ye, may be, that ye may have somewhat to answer them which glory in appearance and not in heart. For whether we be beside ourselves, it is to God, or whether we be sober, it is for your cause. For the love of Christ constraineth us, because we we thus judge that if one died for all, then we're all dead. <clears throat> and that he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves, but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore henceforth <clears throat> know we no man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, yet now henceforth know we him no more. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of re reconciliation. We touched on that a little this morning. To 
that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. When does your eternal life begin? Because I feel I need to reiterate this point. You, you don't always have to, to go DEFCON 1 and sell everything and move as far away as possible. Okay? I get that. But friends, you understand that <clears throat> what this life is about is not about just one facet of ministry. Okay? This life should be about the entire scope of the Great Commission and the grand sweep of its implications to the body of Christ. 1 Corinthians 4, 9 through 16. For I, th- for I think that God has set forth us the apostles last as it were appointed uh, to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world and to angels and to men. Chapter 4, verse 10. We are fools for Christ's sake, but we are wise in Christ. We are weak, but we are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Even unto this present hour, we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we suffer it, being defamed, we entreat, we are made as filth of the world and are the offscouring of all things unto this day. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you, for though ye have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet ye not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus I have begotten you through the gospel. Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. Paul said, this is what receiving life eternal from the blessed gospel of the glorious God meant for me. My life had been a waste. However, one day I woke up in the power of the resurrection and realizing eternal life had already begun. From that day, my, my entire identity was Jesus and the total characterization of my activity was missions. So God said, now, Paul, because this is your testimony, I want you to do something for me. Go tell the church to be followers of you. <clears throat> First Corinthians sixteen fifteen through 18. I beseech you, brethren, you know, the house of Stephanus, that it is the first fruits of Achaia that, and that they have, they have addicted themselves to the ministry of the saints. That you submit yourselves unto such and to everyone that helpeth with us and laboreth. I am glad of the coming of Stephanus and, and Fortunatus and Achaeus. For that which was lacking on your part, they have supplied. For they have refreshed my spirit and yours. Therefore, acknowledge ye them that are such. He's giving a pattern. He's, giving a, he's always talking about a pattern. Follow this pattern. Do what I did. And can I tell you what I find so ironic? The people who have realized that, people that actually get a hold of that and can understand that and accept that, are so happy and they're so full of joy. And it's almost funny. The Bible has so many negative things to say about man and his life. And so do you know what modern preachers do? They put messages on three steps for a better marriage or five lessons on feeling better about yourself or 
how to be the coolest guy in school. I don't know. They, they, some of the messages are just ridiculous. Dodie, I think you were talking about one this morning that was, anyway. Um, and here's how I know they don't love God when they do that. Because people who love God are blessed by the negative stuff in the Bible. And the Bible is about two-thirds negative. As a matter of fact, I was in Justin Yo's office this morning. And on his wall, he has a framed picture of Psalm 119. And Psalm 119 says, none of Scripture is offensive if you love God. Even that two-thirds part, that's negative. That isn't even offensive. If you love God. So it goes like this. God says, preach the word. And you preach that man is a worm. And then you preach that he's a liar. And you preach that man hates good. And you preach that his deeds are evil. And that he falls short. And he's blind. And he desires and, and, and that his desires and pursuits of life are a waste. And some folks who, who call themselves Christians, they get mad. They huff and puff. They really do this. At my church, we lose members all the time. It's crazy. I'm like, oh, we're just in the two-thirds part of the Bible section where we lose members, I guess. I don't know. <clears throat> but they get mad, and they go off offended, and they leave the church. Because I'm not a worm or a liar. Or, well, that's what the Bible called you. And the other ones, they'll hear the same message. And they'll amen themselves all the way out to their car while they're smiling. They'll furiously take notes. And they'll almost skip out to their car. Singing, isn't the love of Jesus something wonderful? Same message. The same thing. Isn't that weird? Why is that? Because the pattern of Paul's life is a prerequisite for joy. <clears throat> what things were gained to me, I count loss. That was his perspective of his past. And he said, I still count everything as loss, that I may gain the knowledge of Christ. And that was his predilection to, to his present. And he concludes, which gives me a desire for knowing Jesus through suffering and being made conformable to his death. What a wonderful revelation. That was a revelation that allowed him to lay hold on real joy. I'm going to read that one again. The, the revelation that allowed him to lay hold of real joy was his desire for knowing Jesus through suffering and being made conformable to his death. That was his revelation. What is real joy? The ability to let go of the past and to look forward to the future with Jesus Christ, both here and in the hereafter, pressing toward the mark for the prize of the high calling in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's the pattern for our lives. It's Paul's life. But guess what? That's your pattern. That's your pattern too. People need you to follow it as well. You must see this. Laying hold on salvation and it not affecting your goals and pursuits and dreams and where you live and why you live and how you live and what you do and what you say and what you say you want to do and, and, and who you do it with and, and, and who you say it to. It's a waste if it's not affecting your goals and your pursuits and your dreams. 
It's dung, according to the Bible. It's wood. It's hay. It's stubble. Oh, our sorry, a sorry, hypnotized, slumbering, wallowing American Laodiceans would but anoint our eyes with eye salve so that we might see, that we might behold what can be seen with eyes that have been, uh, that have seen the resurrected Lord. That we might see our lives now, the way we'll see it at the judgment seat of Christ, purchasing gold for the fire. That we might see the fields are white unto harvest, and that the gold for the fire is buried in the mission fields of the world. That we might see the value of one never dying soul of man. That one of them being converted causes, causes the angels to rejoice in heaven. And is worth leaving the comfort and familiarity of the 90 and 9. That we might see that pursuing Christ in this world deserves at least as much determination and ardency as the young Hebrew child pursuing the life of becoming an ecclesiastical celebrity or as it were a Pharisee of Pharisees, Saul, Paul. I submit to you this evening that the only people in this life who are truly happy are the saints in Christ who realize all of that and consequently are living their lives walking on the king's highway. By way of tying this all together, you know what Paul realized? And unlike many, dare I say, unlike most American Christians today, Paul understood that the resurrected Lord deserves more than doctrinal positions and religious conformity. Rather, the resurrected Lord deserves actually, the resurrected Lord demands a resurrected life. And so you would know it when you see it. And at long last, you would live it. The resurrected life looks like Paul's life. Go read about it. Go figure out what it is. What a great revelation for a man and woman to have. Romans, Romans 1, 14 through 16. I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also the Greek. In Psalm 142, verse 1 through 7. And I'll close with this. I cried unto the Lord with my voice. With my voice unto the Lord did I make my supplication. I poured out my complaint before him. I shewed him, or I shewed before him my trouble. When my spirit was overwhelmed within me, then thou knewest my path. In the way wherein I walked, I have, uh, have they privily laid a snare for me. I looked on my right hand and beheld, but there was no man that, that would know me. Refuge, fail me. No man cared for my soul. I cried unto thee, O Lord. I said, thou art my refuge and my portion in the land of the living. Attend unto my cry, for I am brought very low. Deliver me from my persecutors, for they are stronger than I. Bring my soul out of prison, that I may praise thy name. The righteous shall compass about me, for thou shalt deal bountifully with me. This was Paul's life and Paul's perspective. And you know what Paul was? We call him a missionary. But he never called himself that. Paul called it being in Christ, simply.
And I wonder after after tonight's message, what what are you going to call it?